Hello and welcome to Customer Marketing Catch-Up. Today I am joined by Ari Hoffman, Influitive co-host, and Satira Carmona to talk about the five types of customer data to leverage during the growth stage of the customer journey. First, however, here is a very quick word from our sponsor, Influitive. This podcast is brought to you by Influitive, the world's number one customer marketing and advocacy platform designed to supercharge customer engagement and deliver social proof at scale. From referrals and references to reviews and video testimonials, Influitive does it all. Close more deals all with a customer-first approach through Influitive. Welcome back to Customer Marketing Catch-Up. And today we have the wonderful Satira with us, who is a expert on all things growth marketing um, and also one of uh, Customer Marketing Alliance ones to watch this year for 2023. So welcome, Satira. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's wonderful to have you with us. So I guess we're going to start off with how we how we usually start, which is getting a little bit of your background. Uh, so do you mind telling us a little bit about where you're currently at in your career and how you managed to find yourself here? Yes, absolutely. So I am currently the Senior Manager of Customer Growth at Big Commerce. Uh, we're a SaaS e-commerce leader with the mission to help merchants sell more at every stage of growth. My one like sales <laughs> pitch for Big Commerce. Um, but really, as the leader of customer growth, also known as customer marketing, um, my focus really is to build and optimize programs to ensure that we are educating, enabling, and empowering our customers to use our products better. Um, I think that really is a very important tenet for all customer marketing teams across the board. But really, if you think about customer marketing, my big, 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 you know, passion when it comes to customer marketing is ensuring that we are part of every stage of the customer journey. Everywhere from onboarding to growth to retention to advocacy, I really try to ensure that my team is part of conversations that are happening with customer success, with product, really anything that touches customers is what I'm passionate about. Um, and so that means anything from product enablement campaigns to retention marketing, cross-sell, upsell, and of course, advocacy uh, is something that is really, really important for me. In terms of my career path, uh, I did get my degree in marketing. So I feel like I'm using what I went to school for. <laughs> um, but, but I started out at a cybersecurity company, and that's really where I fell in love with marketing. I started off in sales, which love the sales team, not my thing. My husband is in sales. So I feel like we're always at odds between sales and marketing. Um, I started off in sales and then I moved to field marketing, did the demand gen prospect side. And then I was given the opportunity to do more customer facing activities, which literally opened the world for me because I feel like companies focus so much on acquisition, demand gen, prospect, extremely important, but not necessarily enough on customer-facing initiatives, and especially in the marketing org. Companies have CSMs, they have support teams, they have all these people in the services org 
that are supporting customers, but there's a huge opportunity for customer marketing to be a true stakeholder in driving retention. And so that's where I have found myself. Um, and I've been in customer marketing for going on eight years now. So I feel like I've found a niche of marketing that I really, really love. Um, and one that really, that I can see drives measurable impact for the business as well. Well, I don't think there's going to be a single listener here that that does not resonate with. <laughs> we wish our marketing teams would pay more attention to the customer side of the coin, right? Than the net new logo acquisition side. Um, for everyone who's listening, I know you did your little, your little uh, pitch on big commerce. But I want everyone to know, I, I used to be actually in the B2C space and big commerce is a big deal. And so the things that you're doing over there, the conversations that you're having really matter. And for everyone who's listening, you know, you are coming from a space that requires a high level of execution and expertise. And so, you know, we're very lucky, everyone, to have you on this call to help educate us and take us down this journey with you. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'm again, I'm so excited to be here and happy to be able to share my my insights with all of you. Yeah, so on to the topic at hand, I think. Um, as kind of continuing on from what you initially said about how, how important it is to get customer marketing involved in every single stage of the customer journey. But specifically today, we're going to be talking about the growth stage of the customer journey, which of course is incredibly important in terms of retention and advocacy and all of those kinds of things that are involved within customer marketing. Um, so specifically as well, um, within that growth stage, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the kinds of data that are important to support this this growth. Yes. Um, so I was quite curious um, to perhaps start off with um, what about it what about this topic um, made you excited to talk about it today? Yeah, I think for me, data is something that I recognize as being incredibly powerful in being able to successfully serve your customers in the way that makes sense for the business. I am a huge data nerd. I spend so much of my time looking at data, analyzing data, making conclusions, because it really can increase your time to value, help you scale your, your programs, and get you to success faster. Um, I love at BigCommerce that we are a test and learn, fail fast type of company, because we are always testing things and always trying new things and seeing what works best, what type of messaging, what type of cohort, what type of tactic. So I really wanted to talk about data today because not that I, I don't think other companies are really focused on data, but again, at the root of it, data can really inform how you run your customer marketing function. And so, you know, I think for Lee, it can tell so many different stories. You can, you can, you could just do so much with it, but I think it's important to continue the conversation of using data in new ways, especially, and I know we'll get to this later, especially as new tools come about, AI, automation, all of these things, I really am just a huge proponent of using data in any way that's possible in order to, uh, again, 
drive your programs forward and really make an impact of the business. Before we uh, go further, you know, I think it would be really helpful for setting the stage um, for for all of the listeners here is, you know, one, how would you define growth stage? Like, what are the different stages in your mind? Yeah. Where, where does growth stage align? And then two, you know, you talk about how much of your time you spend looking through data. How much time should, would you recommend someone dedicating if they were 100% of the pie what slice of that pie should be in just data, you know, uh, observation and exploration, right? Yeah. yeah, great question. So the first one, in terms of customer stages, and this is coming from my B2B experience of looking at and, and building customer journeys, I like to keep it simple and say that there are four stages. There's an onboarding stage where, of course, new customers just getting started. We need to really support them, get them to use the product, enable things like that. Then there's the growth phase where they're successful. They're doing what you want them to do. Now let's get them to use new features, new functionality. Let's start to upsell. Let's start to cross-sell. Then there's retention. That's, okay, let's make sure that they're happy. Let's keep them. Let's get them involved. Um, let's give them best practices, thought leadership, enablement, things like that. And then there's the renewal, retention, and advocacy. So I think for a lot of the resources that I found, customer marketing is primarily focused in that advocacy bucket where we're building case studies and community, which is extremely important, but there's so much in front of that before a customer becomes a champion that customer marketing can help to inform. Um, so for me, all of the stages are truly important. Personally, I'm most passionate about retention marketing because again, the data can tell you who is likely to churn and you can put proactive communications in front of those customers to help them not churn. No, but specifically we're talking about growth and where again, you're really trying to grow your customers by enabling them, empowering them, and giving them the support that they need um, in, in how they can best use your product. Totally get it. Now, yeah, it's, uh, I think some some others, not all, but some others call that the life cycle stage, right? Life cycle marketing. So it's yeah. wonderful to hear exactly what you're thinking about in the growth stage, and you set the table perfectly for us to move on. Yeah, so um, within that life cycle stage within that growth stage so the the process of transitioning customers from onboarding into growth and then from growth into retention yeah. um speaking of data specifically what um types of data would you yourself prioritize i know we talked about five specific ones so mm -hmm. um yeah what would you what would you pick as those five then yeah so this is hard for me again because I love all data. <laughs> Every, I think listeners are going to come away from this knowing how much I love data. So let's make that very clear. Um, if I had to choose five types of data in order to inform growth programs, the first would be general account details. And when I say that, I mean, what's their tenure? What size company are they? What industry are they in? What contacts do we have relationships with? What are their personas? 
what plan type, if your product has different plans or versions. All of that is going to help inform what type of cohort that you build in order to um, uh, whatever matches for the program you're building. I I personally love when customer marketing can build a program that's like vertical specific. Hey, and I'm going to use uh, customers as an example, but hey, fashion brands, we want to ensure that you're growing and using the product better. Here are fashion specific assets to help you do that. So if you know general account details, you'll just be more knowledgeable on who is using your product. You could build an ideal customer profile and really push programs that um, drive success in that area as well. So is that in, ter- is that in terms of like um, creating customer segments with this data? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say creating customer segments, I like to use more than just account details. I'm going to talk about the other four and really all data points should be used to create your cohorts because you don't only want to look at size or vertical. You also want to take into consideration of what they're already using in your product. What is their health? Those types of things that will paint a a more accurate picture um, of that customer. I I think that what you're hitting on is something that is so easily overlooked because of time management. And you are nailing something that so many people, not purposefully, mm-hmm. but because they're being rushed. They're at, we are all in the on the customer side asked to do so much, yes. right? We are asked to cover such a wide gambit of responsibilities, and we feel ourselves full that we often try to be efficient, and so we bucket as quickly as we can, Absolutely. and so just make cohorts based out of account data, right? That targeting, we are missing a large portion of that pie on how we actually tailor and personalize. And when you can't tailor and personalize and the customer doesn't feel known, what happens? They don't engage, right? It doesn't move the needle. And so you're actually becoming less efficient while trying to be more efficient, right? Because you're becoming less effective and you can't be efficient if you're not effective. And so I think, you know, bringing in these extra elements into that cohort analysis, right? And how you target your messaging is, is the most critical component for engagement and if you miss that right what are you doing yeah it's i and i i say this over and over and over again but it's like the the what is it called the wood chopper who's too busy chopping wood to sharpen the racks mm-hmm. right but you gotta start sharpening your axe absolutely. Right? absolutely um i won't go through the rest of these in in too much detail because I can I could talk about health scores alone for hours. There's there's so much goodness in building health scores for your customers that customer marketing can leverage. So I, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but I do want to mention the the other four. So I, I mentioned, you know, general account details. Um second, account health. Again, using a health score matrix to determine whether they're healthy, whether they're at churn risk help you make sure that, again, you're targeting the right people. Product usage is another huge one. Um, This will allow you, again, to target your programs. Let's say you're doing an enablement on a new feature. 
If a customer is already using that feature, you could probably exclude them. Again, going back to that relevancy, making sure it's personalized and make sure, making sure it makes sense for that uh, customer. Uh, number four, NPS and referenceable status. I love using this one because it just helps paint the picture again of health. It helps with advocacy initiatives, but knowing how your customers feel about you can help inform your programs as well. And then finally, personas. If you can create personas for your customer contacts, you can then build programs that meet the needs of those personas. So for example, we have technical personas and business personas. If someone's a technical persona, I'm going to want to give them more how-to documentation and information versus the business persona where I talk about more um, high-level metrics and business impact and things like that. So again, the combination of all of those can really, are really important in, in helping you understand your customers. Uh, but those would be my top five if I were, if I were uh, talking about data specifically. Yeah, I think a, a thing to bring out here in that, in those five choices, some people might say, well, our health score incorporates our NPS, right? And it informs our, our, our NPS is actually one of the contributing data points to our overall health score. Yeah. You're absolutely right that you can actually use them independently as well, even though they're connected. I, I at one of my past companies, you know, when you have someone who's on the border, let's say a six or a seven, right, on the S score, and they're a neutral, but their health score is super high because their product can get well. You still have an advocate, and you still have a cohort that you can funnel them, and so that's why it's really it's really important to be able to look at them independently as well. So it's great. It's a great asterisk there that that i think people might not always know so good call yeah and i i completely agree our health score also nps is a component of it but as you're exactly correct um, you can look at them independently and then one final note on data um that we haven't talked about obviously success metrics are a type of data that you should be looking at we are focusing on customer data for this conversation um, but success metrics, how are you performing? Are you A-B testing your CTAs? Like what is really working is also a very important data point that I wanted to to bring up as well. Maybe look out for that conversation in the future then. <laughs> I was, I was going to say we should do a specific call just on health scores. Oh, how to leverage them. That was yes. a wonderful call for everybody coming up. Oh, definitely down for that. So... Well, I am going to tempt fate a little bit with this next question. <laughs> what factors would you use to assess these, like these data points which you've which you've chosen? Um, I use the example of things like health scores and personas at risk of getting you into a tangent about <laughs> health scores. I'm all for it, but <laughs> I'll I'll give you an abbreviated answer in case we do do that um, more extended version of health scores, but. Again, going back to health scores, I think it's them those sort of pieces of a customer marketing toolkit that is not necessarily being utilized as much as it can. Uh, health scores really are completely dependent on business goals, the data that you may have, what's available to you to build your health score. Um, but really what I like to think about is Health scores are made up of different success metrics or KPIs 
that can inform if a customer is healthy, churn risk, or if they're just sort of in the middle. Again, separate from NPS, NPS can be a component of health scores. But one example that I did want to bring up is um, at one of my previous companies, our health score was primarily made up of product usage and general sentiment. So for us, product usage was the leading indicator of churn or retention. And so we focused our efforts on ensuring a score was able to inform when someone wasn't using our product in the way that we want, then we could deploy programs to get them to use that product feature more. So that's one example. Another example is we use more business metrics to build our health score. So we're looking at things like, of course, NPS, but we're also looking at things like, do they consider us a long-term partner? That is a very business level type of KPI that can inform whether a customer is gonna churn or retain, because if they look at you as part of their ecosystem, obviously they're more likely to retain. So how do you know that? How do you know that? How do you ask that? So usually for, for KPIs around sentiment and business strategy, those are dependent on conversations with customers. So we have a mechanism where our CSMs go in and update data like this on a regular basis, um, which is then put into our health score algorithm, which then automatically populates a health score. So a lot of, a lot of it, not a lot, I would say three out of our 10 um, KPIs that we use to build our health score are dependent on that relationship and the conversation. The others are automatically pulled from different data points, which again is then brought together for one account health score. You want to hear something crazy? I worked at a company where they literally sent out a survey on a one through five scale. How likely are you to renew with us? And this would go out. Yeah. Times after EBRs, uh, it was, it was, it was time to come out, you know, the week after an EBR and it would go towards that executive business owner whoever that, that, and it would go to the top champion, right? And then you would take the delta between the two to see if they aligned as well to inform. Very bold. Very bold. I was going to say. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think if we've talked a little bit about um, these data points in terms of how you, they can be used to find out if a customer is going to churn, things like that um, and other aspects. So um, specifically because we're talking about growth, how would you use these data points to then inform um, or impact uh, your growth or your plan for growth? And so I would, I would absolutely start with what are the business goals? So for example, if you have a business goal of upselling services, to your customers, mm -hmm. just random example. Uh, but you can then use the data to build a cohort of who is most, most in need of the services, um, who is ideal to purchase the services if they are not free, um, and really hone in on a target audience. As we've mentioned, it's really important to ensure that the messaging is relevant so if I'm trying to sell services to a customer, I don't necessarily want to message someone who just bought services 
three months ago. They've already purchased the service. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's no longer needed for them. So rather than trying to boil the ocean and just blast everyone with your upsell messaging, then data can allow you to build a cohort that makes the message relevant. And it's been shown that relevancy, personalization, really increases the likelihood of engaging with your programs. And so that's one way that you can definitely use um, data in the growth phase where you're thinking of upsell, cross-sell, how to do more with your product, um, honing in on who is most going to be impacted or who it's most relevant to is really important in ensuring program success. Yeah, well, that, that's really that's really useful to know because I think sometimes with customer marketing, people do emphasize the importance of you know the one to one conversation, and that's obviously incredibly important. But um, I think it's really really useful to know how much of an impact data can have in terms of actually creating a personalized mm-hmm. um, interaction with each of these customers without having to you know go through every single one or you know, make things a little bit more efficient, so to speak, I guess. Definitely not scalable. It's also how you deepen your connection and your value add to the customer success teams and those account teams, right? Because they are they are much more focused on that one-to-one unless it's a digital strategy. And part of the growth and lifecycle support is being able to scale activities, yes. right? To reach the masses in a one-to-many approach and sometimes a many-to-many approach. Um, to, to and and the more you can do that, the easier you make a CSM's life, right? Yes. The more collaboration you'll have, and the more adoption of your programs that you'll get from those teams. Mm-hmm. Another thing to mention when it comes to growth stage, where it's typically upsell, cross sell, as I mentioned, data can also tell you who not to contact. We've been talking a lot about oh, you, sh- you should go after these cohorts, but it, it can also inform who not to contact. In previous roles, we had rules in place where if an account was marked as a churn risk, they did not get upsell and cross-sell programs because we really needed to focus on saving that account versus trying to get them to purchase more. So that's an example of, again, if you have the data, you can slice and dice it in ways that ensure that you're um, you're, you're sensitive to to cohorts like that and not inundate them with messages that just are not, should, that should not be sent at that very critical time. of. Yeah, you know, there, there's a couple of terms here that are really key for, for people to understand, right? You have value delivery, you have value realization. So you, there's a difference between value, and people ask, what's the difference between value realization and value delivery? You can be, as a company, delivering a ton of value to a customer. But if they don't know it, if they don't realize that value, it doesn't exist. All right. So value realization is one thing. And then what you're talking about here is actually value erosion, where you can actually make a good thing worse or a, a bad thing worse <laughs> You can make a bad thing even worse, right? By by going up to someone that isn't. You know, I use an analogy here and I will say it again and again and again to really um, drive the, the message on, which is this analogy. And, and you want to use something big like a, a Vitamix, right? That's a considered purchase. You don't just on a whim buy one. 
You kind of think about side if you want to buy it. You're at Costco, person there demoing it. You're finally like, you know what? I've I've wanted this long enough. I just tasted the demo for the fourth time. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and buy this seven hundred dollar blender. All right, you bring it home, you use it once. It's kind of hard to clean. You don't really know any recipes. It goes in your shelf and you forget about it. Do you think of that if Vitamix now sent me a ton of messages again and again about this new ergonomic grip they're selling for it for $150, $200 that I'm going to buy it? No, it's just going to frustrate me that I bought the Vitamix in the first place and I'm not. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Now, if I come home with the Vitamix and there's a, a link to a video to watch of how to make my first simple recipes, there's a community they introduced me to of other people like me creating recipes, you know, other parents who are making food for their kids in under six minutes or less with it, how to make it really easy, how to set it up and clean it in a way that like, it's always clean and you never have to think like, and now I'm using it so much. Well, guess what? When they send me that new ergonomic grip email, they're not even upselling me. I need it because I've worn out. (laughs) So that's the difference between true life cycle marketing and getting people engaged before you can hit them with that growth strategy, with the, with the growth and the upsell and the expansion, because it's, it's critically imperative that they are adopting and engaging with the product. Yes. Right. If not, you are missing the mark and you're doing exactly what you said, which is that value erosion. You're simply pushing further away. Absolutely. It's a really good example. Um, so I'm going to hop back slightly a little bit. Um, and you mentioned um, a little while ago about the importance of um, customer success and the collaboration element that you have with with that kind of teams. Um, so are there any other specific teams that you would use to, well, not, not only use that kind of data from, but perhaps even collect the data from as well? Or is it mainly customer success? Yeah. So I, at every company I've been to where I've led customer marketing, there's sort of a, a three to four team coalition that I like to build um, that is dedicated to solving business problems as it relates to customers. So the first thing you mentioned, customer success, primary, primary, primary stakeholder for me in most companies I've been in. The second is product teams. So um, product design, product and engineering, product marketing, those teams, the, the customer success, product marketing, and customer marketing coming together, I have found builds such a strong task force in solving business problems. Customer success, obviously, in front of customers, they have the relationship. Customer marketing can help support, and as we mentioned, scaling programs, proactive and in, in, Lit and in, in education, but product really helps inform roadmap, personas, certain messaging as it makes sense. Typically, they're doing a lot of um, you know competitive analysis, and you can use that to inform customer programs as well. So between those three teams, and then layer on the data team, of course, we're talking about data. Layer on the data team and analytics, it really becomes a very strong, uh, you know, cross-functional alignment in order to build new, 
experiences in the product. Test it out. Ensure that you're aligned on what campaigns you're sending to customers so that CSMs can also speak the same language, making sure there's one voice across all customer-facing teams so that it doesn't feel despair and all over the place. <clears throat> so between those teams, I, I, I recommend that all customers, if you're not already, get in touch with those teams. Just be a fly on the wall. See what they're talking about because that'll allow you to be knowledgeable of where customer marketing can help support in areas um, beyond what you may be doing right now. You know, another way to engage those, as well as being a fly on the wall, like we always talk about, uh, there, there's that that um, classic saying, you attract more bees with honey than with vinegar, right? <laughs> See if you can solve some problems for them, right? Oh, yeah. Ask them where they could use help when it relates to customer engagement. I'll give you an example, product marketing. Can you get people on calls for them for those competitive analysis calls? Can you help them? People on calls for messaging goals, right? Can you get people signed up for early adoption for their go-to-market strategies, right? And beta testers for them, right? Um, and that's same with the product team. So what I always ask is, you know, lay out like three areas where you know you could provide value and then ask them to rank on a scale how well they think they're doing in those areas and how you can support that, right? And that will really help embed the relationship and tie you to them because I, I don't think there is, I mean, literally, I don't know if there is a position in the entire company that is as cross-channelly connected as a customer marketing and advocacy professional, right? Because you are talking to every single side of the house, right? Everybody, and and everybody can use more customer voice. Always. Everybody can use more customer voice, right? So. You know, really think about it and, and, and be you can be strategic about it as well. Yes. Right? More value you drink, just like we do with our customers, more value we bring to these individual departments, the more they're going to love working with us and shouting our programs from the rooftop. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because sort of tangent to this conversation, when we talk about professionals and career advancement for customer marketing professionals, that is probably the single most thing that I've done in my career that has helped me move up the ladder and really elevate customer marketing. And going back to our data conversation, if you have the data and you can identify gaps, as you mentioned, you can then go to those teams and say, hey, I've identified these gaps. I'm, I'm here to support you. I know you're probably working on this already. How can customer marketing come in and help program, create content, give champions, as you've mentioned. Um, so tangent to this, I think as a professional uh, career advice, absolutely coming to the table with opportunities because as we've mentioned, they will literally be singing the praises of customer marketing because they'll think you're so innovative and have all these fresh ideas and you're really customer focused, which is what those teams absolutely care about. Of course, it's so, so true. Um, in terms of like supporting each other via teams and then also in the professional development as well. Um, so I'm going to shift a little bit to the left and um, talk still about support, but um, more robotic, I guess, in terms of <laughs> this kind of thing. 
um, which we've, you know, since 2023 has happened, it's a definitely a big buzz topic, but um, AI and automation. Yeah. Um, so are there areas um, in this kind of data collection that can that be made easier for customer marketers um, or for customer marketers specifically with a very large customer base that AI can then be used? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I admit I'm not as familiar with AI. Um, excited to hear what Ari has to say about AI specifically, but I think automation hands down should be considered for customer marketing programs. As we mentioned, being able to scale is imperative for long-term success. And so leveraging tools, like I've used Gainsight a lot in past companies where Gainsight is able to take customer data from everywhere, pull it in, analyze it for an algorithm, for the health score that you've created, and then automatically push out programs um, to help support customers and increase health. So, you know, as in in my experience that has, this has saved us so much time. It was a lot on the, to build the programs, but once we saw that they worked, we pushed them live. They're basically evergreen. And that allowed us the bandwidth to optimize and build new programs and find new opportunities to support the business. So I am all for our automation, um, especially if you have a large, large customer base. Yeah, I would definitely, um, you know, this, this ties full circle back to the earlier conversation when we were talking about how spread thin we really can feel. Yes. And a lot of us, uh, you know, I will say about 50% of the population are a team of one, mm-hmm. right? Work on that lonely island of one and nobody knows our pressures. And a lot of times we don't even have bosses that have done this before. And so we're almost teaching them as we're going. Yeah. And so there's a lot of pressure. So the more you can make your time efficient and effective, the more you should be looking into it back to the wood choppers saying, and you know, you look at chat GPT, I use a thing called, and I know I shouldn't be doing too much product placement here, but like I use this AI that's called Fireflies that, that my product marketing manager um, put me onto. And what it does, is it takes all my Zoom calls and it summarizes them for me. Wow. It's a mate. It literally comes off and it gives you this really, this bulleted and, and, and the accuracy is phenomenal, but it summarizes the entire conversation. I then I go in and I do a quick edit because is it perfect? No. I do a quick edit and then I share that with each person that I, I talk with so that we have a recap of what it was that we covered because sometimes things go missing when we're on Zoom call back to back to back. You don't have to have to go document it all and you don't necessarily want to record the call, video record it. There's too much to go through. So yeah. these summaries are really easy and it's called, and it's, the AI is called friend. I love it. And it, it's really something that like I'm hooked on now. I love my, my friend recaps. Um, then you have HubSpot, right? Coming out with, and Slack, both partnering with ChatGPT. Slack is going to be creating new commands, new things that are all AI driven search functionality. It really looked at the ability that, you know, it didn't have the strongest search. I know that things get lost in Slack. This is a way to find things and recap entire threads. You can recap an entire thread with it. Um, and then in HubSpot. They're having, it's, it's rolling out quickly, which I was really, really impressed by, um, where you could voice create filters and sets and reports where I can just say, you know, find me a customer, find me all customers that are X revenue 
in Y vertical health score of you know this or above, and and using this Martech stack, right? And now, boom, there I have a whole list, especially if you're looking for references and things like that. Now you can actually integrate that into other programs and tools that you've got, right, to inform. So it's, it, we, it's fun, it's exciting, and what's crazy about it is it's like, it's real, it's here. It, yeah. and, and it's like, it's, no, it's not just hypothetical conversations that we're talking about painting a picture sometime in the future. It's like, exactly. my God, this is actually, not, to me, this is kind of like a Jetsons moment because we've been talking about it for so long. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that I have this Fireflies and I'm using it, I'm just like, it's kind of a mind blown thing. Anyways, that's enough of my rant. Because <laughs> no, it's fantastic, isn't it? Um, so I guess we've we've got a couple more minutes um, to draw this this little session to a close. So I was wondering if you'd be happy to finish uh, this conversation with perhaps one or one or two short examples about how you've used this data in your current work uh, to date. Oh my gosh. Yes. Happy to. I have two quick examples. Um, the first one, so I've mentioned at a previous company, our health score was built off of product usage. So we basically had thresholds where our tool was listening for if a customer dropped below that threshold. Um, and we built a program, uh, specifically this feature was for management. We built a program that would automatically trigger a very robust resource management, customer marketing, enablement campaign um, in order to drive usage of that feature. And we knew that that feature was important because it was it's one of our sticky features, again, because it was part of the health score. So from that, we were able to build, again, a really robust, multi-channel, very fun nurture. We had swag, all the things. Um, and it actually resulted in an increase of 35% um, that product feature in a very short amount of time, um, which we assumed would also equate to increased retention because we know that it was a sticky feature. So that is probably one of my favorite examples because it was one of the first that I had ever done as a customer marketer and really pushing beyond uh, just doing advocacy things and really focusing on growth and retention marketing. Um, so that's one of my favorites. The second is... Within marketing, there's usually a couple of buckets, and one of those is ensuring that customers are upgrading. And so what we were able to do was analyze our data, and we found that customers who were on lower tier plans for one of our products are were much more likely to churn. That is a red flag. Anytime that I know that there's a specific cohort and a specific reason for churn, I'm like, let's build a, pro let's build a program to mitigate that churn. So we took that cohort um, and we basically sent the messaging of why they should upgrade, the benefits to them, how to do it. Um, again, we had swag where, you know, they felt like they were part of this like secret society of like getting to the next tier. <laughs> and uh, we saw really, really great success with, with getting customers to um, upgrade and adopt to the highest tier, which again, ultimately led to increased retention because by staying on the lower, they were a churn risk. So those are two of my most favorite examples. There's, I mean, so many out there, I'm sure, you know, all of you listening have examples as well, um, but data really fueled 
both of those because we were able to get very, very accurate targeting, um, deploy messaging pretty quickly, um, and then see success with those programs as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Such good examples. And it really it really shows, you know, that this topic is such a big, beefy topic. And we could be talking about, all three of us could be talking about this for another three hours if we could. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's going to draw this, this episode to a conclusion. Um, so hopefully we can maybe talk about this more in the future. But for now, thank you so much, Satira, for, for coming and, and joining Ari and myself. Um, on this session today and it's been absolutely wonderful listening to it well thank you for having me and i I'm, i'm happy to share more insights and this was so so much fun so thank you it really really was wonderful can't wait to talk more with you thank you so much